section nine of the roman empire of the second century by william wolfe capes this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter four antoninus pius a d one thirty eight to one sixty one the ancient writer who tells us most of antoninus twice compares him with the legendary numa whose reign appears in the romance of early roman history as the golden age of peace and equity when men lived nearest in communion with heaven as in that dreamland of olden fancy the outlines are all faint and indistinct from want of stirring adventure or excitement so now it might seem as if the happiness of the world were too complete to let it care either to make history or to write it for the new sovereign was no trajan happiest when on the march and proud of his prowess in the field he was not brilliant and versatile like hadrian bent on exploring every land and person and exhausting all the experience of his age his life as emperor was passionless and uneventful and history wearied of unbroken eulogy has soon dropped her curtain upon the government of a prince who shunned parade and high ambition and was content to secure the welfare of his people to describe him the popular fancy chose the name of pius as virgil called the hero of his epic though not perhaps with the same shade of meaning the romans meant by piety the scrupulous conscience and the loving heart which are careless of no claims upon them and leave no task of duty unfulfilled they used it for the reverence for the unseen world and the mystic fervour of devotion but oftener far for the quiet unobtrusive virtues of brother child or friend in the case of antoninus other reasons were not wanting to justify the title but above all it seemed a fitting name for the tenderness with which he watched over hadrian's bed of sickness refusing to let him cut short his pains and his despair or stain his memory with the blood of guiltless victims and when death came at last to the sufferer's relief he would not rest till he wrung from the unwilling senate the vote which raised the departed emperor to the rank of godhead but he had spent the same loving care it seems already on many of his kinsmen had given loans on easy terms to friends and neighbours and showed to all a gentle courtesy which never failed a character so kindly could not look with unconcern upon the endowments of poor children which trajan's charity had founded he enlarged their number and called the girls whom he reared at his expense after the name of his own wife faustina but there was no weakness no extravagance in his good nature his household servants the officials of the court who had counted perhaps on his indulgence found to their surprise that his favour was no royal road to wealth there was no golden harvest to be reaped from fees and perquisites and bribes in the service of a master who had a word and ear for all who came to see him but made no special favourites and had a perfect horror of rich sinecures as a cruel tax upon the endurance of his people nor did he like earlier monarchs use his patronage to win the loyalty of more adherents the offices of state in the old days of the republic had passed rapidly from hand to hand to satisfy the ambition of the ruling classes the first emperors gave the consulship for a few months only to please men's vanity 
with the unsubstantial honour, and rarely kept provincial governors long at the same post. But Antoninus had no love of change. He retained in office the ministers whom Hadrian had named, and seldom displaced the men who had proved their capacity to rule. In this he had chiefly the public interest in view, for he called his agents sharply to account if they were grasping or oppressive. He tried to lighten the burden of taxation, and would not even travel abroad for fear that the calls of hospitality toward his train might be burdensome to the land through which it passed. Yet though the provincials never saw him in their midst, they felt the tokens of his watchful care. He was ready to grant an audience to every deputation. His ear was open to all the cries for succor or redress. He seemed quite familiar with the ways and means of all the country towns and with the chief expenses which they had to meet. Had any grave disaster from fire or earthquake scourged their neighborhood, the emperor was prompt with words of condolence and acts of grace. He was not ostentatious in his bounty, for he knew that to give freely to the favored he must take largely from the rest, and in the imperial budget of those times there was no wide margin for his personal pleasures. In earlier days, indeed, he had readily received the family estates bequeathed to him by the kinsmen who had prized his dutiful affection, but now he would take no legacy save from the childless, and discouraged the morbid whim of those who used his name to gratify some spleen against their natural heirs. The eagerness of fiscal agents and informers died away, and the dreaded name of treason was seldom, if ever, heard. It is natural to read that far and wide the provinces were prosperous and contented with a prince who ruled them quietly and firmly, who had no hankering after military laurels, but liked to say with Scipio that he would rather save a single fellow-countryman than slay a thousand of the enemy. Yet his reign was not one of unbroken peace, like that of fabled Numa. The Moors and the Britons, and the untamed races of the Rhine and Danube, tasked the skill and patience of his generals, and the Jews, even hopelessly crushed as they had seemed to be, flung themselves once more with ineffectual fury on the legions. But in the main, the influence of Rome was spread by wise diplomacy rather than with the sword. The neighboring potentates saw Hadrian's machinery of war standing in strong and burnished trim upon their borders, and had no mind to try its force, while the gentle courtesies of Antoninus came with a better grace from one who could wield, if need be, such thunderbolts of battle. So kings and chieftains, one after another, sought his friendship. Some came to Rome from the Far East to do him honor, others at a word or sign stopped short in the career of their ambition, appealed to him to be umpire in their quarrels, or renounced the aims which threatened to cross his will. For in the interests of the empire he would not part with the reality of power, though he cared little for the show of glory. He grasped the substance but despised the shadow. This is well nigh all we read about the ruler. It is time to turn to the pictures of the man in the quiet of the home circle, and in the simplicity of rural life. His family on the father's side had long resided at Nemausus, Nîmes, in the Romanized Provincia, Provence, but he chose for his favorite resort in time of leisure his country seat at Lorium in Etruria. There he had passed the happy days of childhood, 
and though often called away to the dignities of office in which father and ancestor had gone before him he had gladly returned thither as often as he could lay aside his cares there too as emperor he retired from the business and bustle of the city put off a while the purple robe of state and dressed himself in the simple homespun of his native village in that retreat no tedious ceremonies disturbed his peace no weariness of early greetings no long debates in privy council or in judgment hall but in their stead were the homely interests of the farm and vintage varied only by a rustic merry-making or the pleasures of the chase it was such a life as curius or cato lived of old before the country was deserted for the towns or slave labour on the large estates took the place of native yeomen though the rude austerity of ancient manners was tempered by a genial refinement which was no natural growth upon the soil of italy in the memoirs of his adopted son who was one day to succeed him we find a pleasant picture of the surroundings of the prince of the easy tone and unaffected gaiety of the intercourse in his home circle where all the etiquette of courts was laid aside and every neighbour found a hearty welcome the emperor stood little on his dignity and could waive easily enough the claims of rank could take in good part a friendly jest or even at times a rude retort in the house of an acquaintance he was one day looking at some porphyry columns which he fancied and asking where his host had bought them but was unceremoniously told that under a friend's roof a guest should know how to be both deaf and dumb in season such airs disturbed him little at times served only to amuse him as when apollonius came from colchis to teach philosophy to the young marcus at the invitation of the prince but declined to call upon him when he came to rome saying that the pupil should wait upon the master not the master on the pupil antoninus only laughed at his pretentiousness and said that it was easier seemingly to come all the way from colchis than to walk across the street at rome long before when he was governor of asia he had visited smyrna in the course of a judicial circuit he was quartered by the magistrates in the mansion of the sophist polemon who was away upon a journey at the time at the dead of night the master of the house came home and knocked with impatience at the doors and would not be pacified till he had the place entirely to himself and had closed the doors upon his unbidden guest the great man took the insult quietly enough and when years afterwards the sophist came to rome to show off his powers of eloquence the emperor welcomed him to court without any show of rancour at the past only telling his own servants to be careful not to turn the door upon him when he called and when an actor came with a complaint that polemon as stage director had dismissed him without warning from a company of players he only asked what time it was when he was so abruptly turned away midday was the complainant's answer he thrust me out at midnight said the prince and i lodged no appeal it was the charm and merit of his character that he was so natural in all he said and did and disliked conventional and affected manners his young heir was warm and tender-hearted and would not be comforted when he lost his tutor the servants of the court quite shocked at what seemed an outburst of such vulgar grief urged him to consult his dignity and curb his feelings but the emperor silenced them and said let the tears flow neither philosophy nor rank need stifle the affections of the heart happily he was himself rewarded by the tenderness which he respected in its love for others 
he had adopted his nephew long ago by hadrian's wish had married him to his own daughter and watched his career with anxious care the character thus formed under his eye was dutiful and loyal to the last for many a year the young man was near him always night and day storing in his memory lessons of statecraft and experience taking in his pliant temper the impression of the stronger will and preparing to receive the burdens of state upon his shoulder when the old man was forced to lay them down at length the time was come and antoninus felt that the end was near he had only strength to say a few last words to commend the empire and his daughter to the care of his successor to bid his servants move into the chamber of his son the golden statuette of fortune which had stood always near his bed and to give the watchword for the last time to the officer on guard before he passed away after three and twenty years of rule the word he chose was equanimity and it may serve as a fitting symbol for the calm and balanced temper which was gentle yet firm and homely yet with perfect dignity history has dealt kindly with the good old man for it has let his faults fall quite into the shade till they have passed away from memory and we know him only as the unselfish ruler who was rich at his accession but told his wife that when he took the empire he must give up all besides who preferred to repair the monuments of others rather than to build new ones of his own and prince as he was recurred fondly in his medals to the memories of the old republic no great deeds are told of him save this perhaps the greatest that he secured the love and happiness of those he ruled End of section nine